Hello, and welcome to a special series of our podcast, Make It Clear, entitled, How Does It Work? In this series, Sean and I have invited a special guest to help us explain the basics of wastewater systems, how they work, how they affect you, and how they affect the environment. Join us as we explore the question, how does it work? Welcome to part three of How Does It Work? Hello, and thanks for joining us again. Today, we're talking about what happens between the drain in your house and the drain field. And we're going to focus quite a bit on the septic tank, what it does, what you need to do for your septic tank, etc. We are joined today by Jeff Ball again. Hello. Good morning, afternoon, or evening. And Sean Rapp, as always, to keep us in line. Yep, I'm here. <laughs> All right. This is another part of our series surrounding why you can't just flush and forget. So let's jump into it. Jeff, you want to talk a little bit about what the purpose of a septic tank is? Sure. Something I've studied for most of my career. Really, a septic <laughs> tank is pretty, it's a simple device. It's a a passive treatment system, meaning there's no energy added to the septic tank to treat mm -hmm. household wastewater. And septic tanks are used in other applications for industrial or municipal or commercial systems, but today we're just focusing on residential applications. So the tank yep. provides a so... place for the... Sorry? No, go ahead. <laughs> the The tank provides a place for, in regard to your question about the purpose, it provides a place for solids to settle and be digested and also gives a place for floatable materials like fats, oils, and greases and floating solids to float to the top inside the tank. And mm -hmm. they will break down there over time. So let's talk a little bit about the different materials that tanks are constructed out of. Well, it's really important to select a, a material that will be uh, provide some characteristics you need in a tank. Namely, a tank needs to be structurally sound. It's going to be buried mm -hmm. and subject to quite a, a bit of pressure underground, especially if we see groundwater rising. Also has to be watertight. So it's if it's a material that's prone to degradation for any reason or cracking, it's going to leak. And that will be a problem. So structural soundness and water tightness are the two main objectives that we're looking for when selecting materials mm -hmm. for septic tanks. Yeah. So how big is your average residential septic tank? So that's a good question. Most jurisdictions in the United States have a size requirement that's correlated to the number of bedrooms in the house that it serves. So, and it, it really varies quite a bit across the nation, but I think probably 90% of, of jurisdictions around the country will require a, a tank that's in the 1,000 to 1,500 gallon size for a mm -hmm. typical three or four bedroom home. Right. And I've seen that vary, not much less than 1,000 gallons, but I've seen that, that number creep up quite a bit in some jurisdictions to 2,000 gallons or more. Right. It's usually those jurisdictions usually see more people living in a home, so they'll increase or more toilets. Yeah. More, to toilets be a more conservative. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. The, the I think the theory is that the the more bedrooms in a home, the more like mm-hmm. likelihood that you'll have a lot of people there, which isn't always necessarily right. case, but it's I think not. most regulations tend to err on the side of safety. Uh, the last mm-hmm. thing you want is a four bedroom home with eight people living in it and an undersized septic system. Right. Yep. Yep. That is not drain field friendly. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. So why don't you talk a little bit about how long a septic tank should last? Uh, another good question. Actually, I consulted with your father, Angela, before mm-hmm. we s- started this discussion. Yeah. So for then those of you that to- don't, may not, a lot of people may not know this, but my father is very, very passionate about septic tanks. It seems odd. He is indeed. To He's- people outside the industry. <laughs> I consider <laughs> honestly, I consider him the world's more foremost authority on the mm-hmm. septic tank design and yes. construction and how they function. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we concluded that it's not unreasonable to expect a, a tank to last fifty to hundred years mm-hmm. and remain structurally sound and watertight for the duration. In the past, it was not uncommon to see tanks made of materials that would certainly not last that long. Cedar was not uncommon. We've seen steel. Plain carbon Mm -hmm. steel is not going to last that long. So the materials that are generally used for septic tanks construction these days will provide that kind of life, provided that the the tank is, is designed appropriately. For example, if the tank is made of concrete and has very thin walls or it's poorly constructed, odds are mm-hmm. pretty slim that it will last that long. If the tank is improperly vented and does not allow the sulfide gases to escape the system, it'll cause premature corrosion, in, especially in concrete and steel. Mm-hmm. With that said, we do know that most tanks that are made these days, when they're properly installed and maintained will will live well past 50 years. We currently maintain yep. the collection system for Glide Oregon sewer, a sewer system. And in that system, every home has a tank with a pump and it right. pumps to a pressurized mainline. So they've got, I think they've got over 600 tanks there that are well over, well, they're I think the first ones went in 47 years ago, and they have not replaced a single tank to date. And those tanks mm-hmm. are made of yeah. concrete and fiberglass. Yep. Yep. It, it is a, a testament to how well the system can work if it's maintained properly. So let's talk a little bit about what happens when waste enters the tank. In a properly sized system, Mm-hmm. That's not being abused. There are generally three distinct layers that form in the tank. So the stuff that sinks to the bottom forms what's called the sludge layer, and the stuff that floats to the top forms what's called the scum layer. Mm-hmm. And between the scum and the sludge layer is what's called the clear zone, and it is it's relatively clear effluent and. So on the outlet of the septic tank, we typically put a T that extends down into that clear zone. So only 
the wastewater that's in, within that clear zone will exit the tank. And what happens if the systems are abused? Well, there's a number of ways to abuse a system. Mm -hmm. Simply putting too much flow into the tank can prevent that se the settling from occurring and cause solids to be carried out of the tank. So a lot of people don't think about it, but if you leave a toilet running, for example, you can easily put in three, four, five times what the system is really designed to handle. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to maintain your fixtures in your home and fix leaking valves, shut faucets, etc. when they're not in use. With regard to abuse, there's a large number. We talk, spoke about this previously at a previous podcast about what you can and can't put down the drain. Mm -hmm. And so you can cause upset in your tank by putting, for example, disinfectant, disinfectants that will kill the organisms that are doing the digesting in the, in the tank. You can put in chemicals that are used in cleaning that will cause, the, the um, for example, cause the fats, oils, and grease will prevent it from floating to the top so easily. Any of this stuff mm -hmm. that, that can upset the tank can ultimately result in plugging up your drain field, sending these materials out of the tank that should be remaining there and causing mm -hmm. serious problems in the drain field. So what what should leave the tank then? The water from the clear zone. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we, we're, the tank is meant to retain all the stuff that floats and yeah, all the stuff yeah. that sinks. Yeah. Yeah. That's what the filters are for too, to make sure that none yeah. of that stuff Indeed. We do, gets out we do recommend field. that the, the outlet of the tank is fitted with some sort of filtering device. We obviously, our biotube filters are pretty well known in the industry as a added measure of protection for the drain field. And mm -hmm. of course, those things have to be maintained. Probably, I would recommend that they be looked at at least annually. And all that's right, all I so got to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> If anybody is curious, there are a number of images on our website at www.renco.com. If you go under applications in the residential section, there are a number of images in there that show you what the clear zone and your sludge and scum layers look like, just so that you can get an idea of what we're talking about. So what happens when the tank is full? That's that's a actually it's a very common question, and when you think about how it, the tank operates, it's completely a passive device. And so, when you first start up the septic tank, it fills up, so it's literally full mm -hmm. from the the day that you start up your system. So, what does it mean when the tank is full? Well, it means that the the sludge layer in the bottom has accumulated to a point where it's not allowing the settling to occur and the digestion to, to occur that's necessary to prevent that stuff from exiting the tank. So how do you, the question is, same thing might apply to the scum layer on, on the top. If mm -hmm. a home use tends to use a lot of fats, oils, and grease, that might accumulate it at a higher rate than the, the sludge in the bottom. So what, what 
when a tank is full, it really means that the either the sludge or the scum layer has built up to a level that it's not allowing the tank to function and prevent the solids from ex- exiting the tank. So the their pumpers have devices that will allow them to measure the scum and the sludge depth in the tank. And typically, if they know the configuration of the tank, they can make a determination as to whether or not the tank is in need of being pumped. There's a lot of jurisdictions that require that tanks be pumped on like a three to five year interval. And there are some states, I think, that still have regulations that require that. But the reality is most tanks, if they're watertight and they're being well-maintained by the homeowner, that that's that's come or excuse me, that sludge layer will not build up at a rate that's really very noticeable within that three to five year time span. And in fact, I have a thousand gallon tank and in a family of four, we had that tank pumped at about 15 years. Mm-hmm. And the I think sludge they're layer. They're seeing that up at Glide too. That's yeah. what they see oh, yeah. up at Glide. Yeah. So if it, yeah. We, even at 15 years with a family of four, mm-hmm. we didn't have a sludge depth that was would justify pumping the tank. So, same thing as this, the studies that we've done at, at Glide and other collection system where there, where there's a large number of these tanks. The the pumping frequency is probably for a family of three or four people is definitely somewhere in that ten to twenty year range, realistically. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah. short of 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 measuring that sludge depth and measuring the scum depth, it's probably better to err on the side of safety and have the the tank pump more frequently than less frequently. Mm-hmm. Rather yes. than have it back up into your house, or I was just <laughs> or, thinking, or that. plug up yeah. your drain field, yeah, or plug up your yeah. drain field, yeah, yeah. Both of those are expensive propositions. Yeah. Yes, nobody wants that. So routine maintenance, inspections, things of that nature. Yeah, I th- you know, I think it's probably wise to have your scum and sludge checked, the depth checked somewhere in that five-year frequency. And if you have unusual things happening in the house, a lot of water use, for example, or or if you have a family of bubble bath takers and body <laughs> oil users, probably mm-hmm. be wise yeah. to check it. And then uh, there's really, beyond that, there's not a, not a lot that needs to be done. You don't need to chop up a head of cabbage or anything crazy like that to keep your septic tank healthy no we cannot drive that home enough can we (laughs) (laughs) you don't need dog food or cabbage nope Nope. (laughs) all right anything else you want to share about septic tanks well they're they're a very effective treatment device and people people you know i think it's either taken for granted or totally ignored but the septic tank provides at least 45 percent of the wastewater treatment of the wastewater that leaves a typical residential home. And some constituents in the wastewater, it, it reduces the strength by like 90 plus percent 
oil and grease, for example. Mm -hmm. So it's a it's a really cheap way to treat wastewater. By no okay. means is it the be all end all method of treating wastewater, but it's a really oh, really but... inexpensive way to manage wastewater, especially in places where you can't connect to a centralized sewer. Yeah. And even yeah. in those places where we do have collection systems like that one in Glide I mentioned, it's a very effective means of reducing waste strength before delivering it to the centralized treatment plant. Yeah. I think yep. septic tanks are largely misunderstood. I think they are. I think they get a bad rap that isn't deserved. Yeah. So the more you know, right? That's right. Indeed. All right. Well, thanks for uh, joining us, Jeff. Thanks for being here, Sean. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We want to thank you again for joining us today. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe where you listen to podcasts so you're notified when new episodes are posted. Also, you can leave your comments or suggestions through the contact link on our website, www.arenco.com. Until next time, have a great day.